but you feel a little more unsafe as a Black person navigating the world with this constantly, these constant images coming. Um, but at the same time, they need to be shared. People need to know that this is happening to us, right? They do. They do. And I feel like just as much as it's important to know, it's just as much important to distance yourself from that information when you're not ready to receive it. Um, because imagine you just heard the worst news of your life and then you hear that on top of it. You know, it's like people also have to take note of their own personal well-being. And um, I think sometimes unsubscribing from things that show you the same things over and over, because just as much of that is out there, um, there are other things. You know, there's always something to be worried about. There's always something to fear. And I feel like part of that um, goes along with like, a little bit with like ignorance is bliss you know sometimes not knowing is better than knowing my name is khadija lashan and i am the black guidance counselor that my community needs i'm a strategic investor and ceo i make money in my sleep and i teach others how to do the same i share my knowledge talents and resources with others so if you're in need of that motivation or courage to start following your own path look no further My intention is to share as much value with you all as possible and to show you that there are many different paths to happiness and many different paths to wealth. You just have to find the one that's right for you. started i'm ready let's do this hello everyone my name is khadija lashan also known as your black guidance counselor i'm here to guide you to the resources that you need today i have a very special guest with me her name she goes by the very is it the happy black therapist yeah yeah my name's Chantelle, but my ig handle is the happy black therapist Yes, I love it. I love it. So when I first came across your platform, I was just immediately like, oh, let me look into this. Let me see what's going on here. Because I love to see us and I love to see us spreading what we have to offer and our gifts and stuff like that. So thank you so much for coming on. I do have one question for you, just so everybody knows who are you and um, what type of services, like what do you provide? Well, my name is Chantal Guadima. I'm a first-generation Nigerian-American, and I'm a therapist. Um, I specialize, I've been heavily trained in trauma. I'm not trauma-certified, but I've been trained in trauma, and that's pretty much been the kind of the extent of my um, therapy career has been working with primarily children who come from, who have been dealing with various um, chronic or just circumstantial traumatic events. So um, now I've transitioned into private practice and working with a bigger demographic. Um, So not just kids, but adults as well. Um, And yeah, that's been pretty much me. Um, I've been doing therapy now since 2016, but I have been in the behavioral and mental health field since 2012. So it's been a while. Wow. That's a long time. Um, So (laughs) what led you into that direction? And um, how did you know that that was the path for you? Um, Well, in college, I kind of, you know, I tried to study other things and I wasn't really into it. And um, I did know that I had my own like mental health struggles um, when I was in college. And I actually had, I had a psychiatrist who, um, provided me therapy therapy for those people who don't know um psychiatrists prescribe medication um therapist does you know intensive treatment um through talk therapy and other modalities um so I had a psychiatrist um who did both they prescribed medication and provided me with therapy and I mean she really pulled me out of a dark place she was a she was a medical student Um, and you know, I just, I don't know. I was just in awe of her. I felt like the work she was doing was powerful with me and, um, that experience, I think it went on for about 
four months. It was pretty short-lived, but that experience always really resonated with me. Um, and then shortly after that, I changed my major and the rest is kind of history. Okay. That's awesome. That's, I mean, that's awesome that someone was able to make such a difference in your life, you know, like that probably sparked it in you that like, wow, I want to do this for someone else. Like you did this for me so I can do it for other people. So that's yeah. awesome. And it's definitely um, work that is heavily needed and um, especially in the black community because I feel like it's something where there's a lot of um, just anxiety and fear and like not willing to talk about anything, um, which is generational, but uh, yes. Let me ask you something about that. As a child, what type of personality did you have and how does that relate to who you are, like what you're doing now? Man, um, it's so interesting you bring that up because really being Nigerian-American, I think that um, Black Americans here in America, in my opinion, I feel like are a little more advanced when it comes to mental health. They're a little more open versus you know um in my family this was not something you did right um I remember in high school I went to just a school the school therapist because I was kind of having some just some normal coming of age stuff that I just kind of needed more assistance with and it was a big thing in my house that I went and spoke to this person Mm -hmm. um therapy is an absolute no. Um, and, and it's not so much a no, as in it's kind of like, you know, there's all this struggle um, that Black people have to go through. This is the least of our concerns, was kind of my upbringing around therapy. Like, are you kidding me? Like everything else we're dealing with. Um, and so mental health, at least in my household, was not really promoted or celebrated. And I think um, in the Nigerian community, maybe not the Nigerian American community, but in the actual Nigerian community, it's not something that's extremely promoted. And and to some extent, I kind of understand because um, when you look at people outside of this country they have a lot they have a lot of things going on right and so they have that mentality of this is the least of our concerns um and while to some extent okay yeah i agree but your mental health is going to catch up with you no matter what part of the world you live in right it's going to catch up to you. it's going to have its say um so for me when i decided to become a therapist um my family was not happy about it um they didn't understand it my my parents are immigrants, so it was very much a concern of how will you support yourself, and they just they had no frame of reference around it. They didn't even see it as, you know, a, a part of the medical field. Mm. Um, they they were really really kind of lost, but um, you know, I was always kind of a you know I always had a sad temperament as a child. I always kind of was more down, very very afraid, kind of lacked a lot of confidence. Um, and I just got to the point where I was tired of it. You know, um, I didn't want to live that way forever. And, um, I had my own traumas growing up that I dealt with. And I think I recognized, I kind of recognized early on, like maybe that wasn't supposed to happen and maybe that's bothering me today. Mm. Um, so I always had an interest in seeking help. Um, from a very young age. I remember being like 14, going to the school therapist, um, just, I, just on my own, I was kind of like, I I know I don't feel good. I know I need to do something about it. So. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure like a lot of that probably had to do with like, just having a different culture in the home versus what you're seeing when you go out into the school, you know, like, and to do that for so many years where you're just like at home, it's like this, and you can't even talk about what's going on out yeah. there at home because it's not really you really the immigrant struggle and I say struggle because you know there's certain aspects of it where it's just if you come from an immigrant home it is like night and day but it is a beautiful experience I mean you really do have a robust culture mm-hmm. especially being a black person where you know when you think about 
African culture versus Black American culture. Black American culture is a lot newer, right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like you have the best of both worlds. So it can be a very beautiful experience. But when I tell you, you are literally just tiptoeing in two worlds, Mm -hmm. it is, it is, interesting and it's it's funny because you can see for one thing you can see the overlap between the two cultures so it's very interesting we have our own version of the cookout and then at the same time you're also invited to the cookout it's very it's very interesting um being in essentially two black cultures it's it's a eye-opening experience and I'm actually I'm really grateful for it honestly I I kind of I love that part about myself. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a blessing to have, to be able to straddle both sides and um, to be exposed to both sides. And I'm sure as you grow and your family grows, even on maybe in America and in Nigeria, like it blends even more where you're getting even different things, you know? It is. It is. I mean, it, it really is. It's, it's interesting how connected you can be to such a, a, a shared experience. I mean, Africa is like a shared experience, I think, of all of us, whether you kind of want to admit it or not, um, of everybody, honestly, whether you're Black or not, if we're just being honest. But mm-hmm. um, I think being so closely connected to it and then also having this whole other culture that you can celebrate is powerful. But I mean, like I said, it, it comes with its own struggles of, going to school and existing in one world and then coming home and being in a completely different world. I mean, it, it can create some chaos as well. I believe it. And um, I just wanted to put a little side note. I'm someone who I always felt like I didn't really have a culture, you know, like when we would have those like international days or um, whatever it was at school, I really didn't have anything I could bring forward because I'm from a blended family you know and it's like we're not really that close with any parts of my family if that makes sense so the thing about that is that when I went to college um I got a lot of exposure to different cultural groups that we had like we had one group called uh Africa's Legacy on our campus and I used to sing like the songs that they would do and they would have the dancing and the makeup and it was just really in the the dresses and the food like it was just really cool to like be immersed in a completely different culture I feel like we need more of that you know because then you realize it's not really that much difference between all of us like we have different customs and norms but you know it's a lot of a lot of similarities you know like there are a lot of similarities there's a lot of similarities in child rearing I mean it's very interesting when I hear my you know my black American friends talk about something growing up and I'd be like y'all do that too like (laughs) it's very it is interesting there's 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 a connection there so yeah yeah absolutely who do you think influenced you most when you were like as a child growing up like who who would you say impacted your life the most oh my goodness that's a big question um uh you know what I kind of think my grandmother I never met her um, she died, um, shortly before I was born. Um, but she, she's just a very interesting figure in my family. Um, she had a very difficult life. Um, she, I think she was first married when she was like 15. Um, and you know, this is rural Nigeria back in the day and mm-hmm. you know she was married into a polygamous family and you know her husband passed away she was remarried almost immediately it was just it's it was her story is so interesting and then from there you know she had seven children um raised them all herself and she to begin with she was orphaned she was taking care of her but I mean she went through so much struggle and through all this you know she never learned how to read she never she was illiterate pretty much all of her life um and uh you know growing up I think that's kind of why education became important to me I remember my mom you know you know when I was very very little 
education, like I didn't really grasp education as most kids didn't. You just knew like go to school and behave. Um, and then my mom shared this with me about my grandmother and how she never, when she died, the only thing she could spell was her first name. And I don't know why that was so impactful to me. I think it's just to be that little and hear that an adult can't read or write um, at the time was just so like, wow, you know, I've never, I've never known an adult to not be able to communicate in that way um, at that point in my life. And to know that she's so closely related to me, she's like one generation off, you know, um, was just very impactful. And my mom, she was kind of like, that's why education is so important to me. That's why I'm constantly stressing out about getting good grades and this and that. And I don't know what, so that just, that conversation really resonated with me. And ever since then, I've, I've made education a big, focal point in my life and not just you know formal education um you know I think as you know a person of color it's important to get various forms of education especially Um, about the history you know history so many stories are told you know I completely understand and I was gonna say um it's kind of like your grandma brought the baton as far as she could you know even though she was illiterate she still raised all seven of her kids and y'all yeah. are in America. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, all of her children are a testament to her, um, to this story, because they're all, you know, in my opinion, all my, you know, my mom, my aunts, uncles, they're all, in my opinion, successful people, you know, so I think her story is a testament, and just like, just, it's just little things about her, like learning, you know, um, there's obviously through, you know, conversion all that there's a missionary presence you know there's a huge christian presence um in nigeria and just knowing like for example she wasn't for a long a long part of her life that was not her faith she was very much into you know african spirituality you know um and just little things like she was i don't know i don't know her i don't know her personally um but she just seemed like a powerhouse of a woman and you just wow. got that set of her so wow she sounds like a powerful woman powerful woman yep. right there okay how did the therapy becoming a therapist what steps did you have to take to go in that direction sure. um well so I um I'm from Arizona so for those of you who are listening here from Arizona um, I'm a bit of a house divided. We have our two rival schools, um, the University of Arizona um, and Arizona State University. I definitely went to both. Um, okay. I went to um, the University of Arizona for about um, three and a half, four years, bear down for those of you who know what that means, um, and had a great time, maybe a little too great because then I had to transfer to Arizona State University. Oh, no. <laughs> my bachelor's degree but that's where I got my bachelor's degree from and both schools are such great schools I had great experiences um at both um and so I just um I majored in psychology um which I most most people have I mean there's other routes you can go there's um forensics there's criminal justice but for me psychology just really resonated with me that's what I felt most comfortable majoring in when I finally figured out what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. um and then I took about a year off because I immediately like two days after graduation got a job at an amazing company it's a local mental health clinic here in Ahwatukee in Phoenix Arizona um, called Child and Family Support Services, and I was there for eight and a half years. I loved that place. Um, wow. The culture there was really positive. The work we did with families, with children and their families, just changed me um, as a person as well as my career forever. Um, so I got a job there immediately, and then um, took a year off, and then went to grad school at Grand Canyon University, um, and that took about. Um, the program I did was professional counseling. Um, now, for those of you who are very interested in someday you see yourself as a therapist, psychologist, whatever this looks like, one thing I will tell you, so I did the professional counseling program and various schools have accredited counseling programs. However, I recommend you do social work 
um, because social work, uh, it's not just about child welfare. So I know people hear social worker and they think like, oh, people, CPS, Child Protective Services. That is not just what social work does. Social workers are actually therapists. Um, they can be therapists. Their credentials allow them to provide therapy. Wow. Um, and so you have a lot of options with social work. And the reason why I say social work over professional counseling is because it's more marketable, mm. um, a little easier. So I, <laughs> so that's what, you know, if I had to give anybody a recommendation who's getting into this field, I think social work is a, a great route. Um, not that I don't love professional counseling, but at the end of the day, you're doing the exact same thing. It doesn't matter. It's just one is more marketable than the that other. But yeah. But can you get you get licensed after you get your grad degree? So um, mm -hmm. would you be a licensed social worker or a licensed? You'd be a licensed social worker. Okay. You'd be a, and there's there's literally there's no difference. <laughs> there's no difference. Okay. I learned that a little late on. I I probably would have been a social worker. Honestly, there's really no difference. But um, I do think that um, for those who specifically want to get into this field and want this end goal. Just an FYI, social work is a little more marketable. Um, okay. But yeah, grad school was about three and a half years. And after that, um, to be licensed as a under professional counseling, under counseling, not social work, there was a big test I had to do um, mm -hmm. that was like, you know, those board tests. It's like five hours and intimidating and awful but once it's passed it's passed and then i i got licensed that's amazing congratulations on that i know i'm way late but congrats i'll take <laughs> it that was a hard test <laughs> i believe it i believe it and honestly i majored in psychology in uh in my undergrad and i know after that i was just like yeah i don't know i don't know like i just didn't see myself in the specific routes that the psychology major took me if that mm -hmm. makes sense but um, I can hear what you're saying about the social work. For anybody listening, you can have your own social work practice, can't you? Like once you get licensed? It's literally no different than the professional counseling. You can okay. have your own practice. It's not, I think um, where it comes into play is like um, a lot more hospitals hire social workers for different things. Mm. A lot more like established entities hire social workers for different things. So it's just a little more marketable. I think it's more global too. Like the credentials like in Canada for social work aren't like super different than the United States. Okay. Um, you know, my cousin was telling me that today. She is a social worker in Canada. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just a little more marketable. And once you go through the process, you're like, you know, going through grad school, looking for a program, you're going to hear that anyways. I'm not going to be the first person to tell you that. Okay. So That makes sense. You said you started your own private practice. What made mm -hmm. you go in that route? And what's the difference between having your own private practice versus like working for someone else? Sure, sure. So um, what made me go into this route, it's really interesting. So it didn't start off as a private practice. It actually was like a behavioral health residential facility. Mm -hmm. um, and it took inpatient clients in. Um, and so it wasn't um, a private practice. It was more of an inpatient situation. Um, and we were doing that and we were doing really well. And that work was really exciting to me. It was new. We opened that in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, you know, I got to the point where I kind of wanted to quit my day job, um, cause it was really doing well. And I wanted to start being like, you know, a working practitioner mm -hmm. in the inpatient. Cause before that I wasn't able to provide therapy there. I wasn't able, cause it's, it's just different. It's kind of how our, our system is set up here. Mm -hmm. Um, so once oh. I decided to kind of, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, for the inpatient, what do you mean by that? Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, so inpatient, like, you know, instead of just coming to someone's office, doing an hour, uh, hour therapy and leaving, that's outpatient. Okay. Inpatient is kind of like you stay there. Right? You stay there. Okay. Takes a yeah. lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. You stay there. You stay there overnight, maybe three to six months at a time. Okay. 
Um, so we opened that facility and it was doing really well, but I, you know, like any entrepreneur, I still had my day job that I had to go to. So I would just be there kind of on the weekends, you know, hanging out with clients, not really doing much. I wasn't a practitioner there um, because I wasn't credentialed to do that. And again, I still had a whole nother day, 50 hour a week job um, doing therapy at a clinic. Um, so in about like December, 2020, um, I made the decision, I'm going to go ahead and leave my day job. Cause I felt like I was at a place where I could, the facility needed me full time. Um, and I moved, um, I started working the facility full time administratively. Right. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a while. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, I'm not at this point, <laughs> like I'm not doing any there. I'm not doing therapy, which is not like not comfortable you know like it's just kind of like I'm not an administrative I don't want to do paperwork all day basically Mm. so I started taking the steps through my board um, the governing board who oversees behavioral health examiners in my state um, to turn it into what we call a supervised private practice okay Um, um, basically that means at my level of license, I can't just open a private practice and start. It just means I need to have someone who has a higher license than me oversee the work I do. Okay. Um, yeah, so I found someone, I hired them, and I just started going through that process. And then in May of last year, um, we became a supervised private practice, and okay. I opened it up to um, outpatients, so people who weren't coming to stay, just people who just wanted to do, you know, I just need once a week, once every other week therapy. And that outpatient situation blew up fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did not expect that. But I, I, when I look back, I think it makes sense given like the pandemic and everything. I mean, we've all globally gone through a trauma. So it makes sense there'd be such an influx in services needed right now. And so that part of the company I've been attached to since then, just doing outpatient therapy. And that's kind of where we got to today. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's where um, I'm at now. And I've, I've really enjoyed it. I, I love it. I loved working in the clinic and doing the community-based work. I felt like that was really powerful. And it definitely prepared me for the work I do in private practice. But I do love working with different demographics, um, different situations. It's, it's different um, when you're working in the clinics because it's more state Medicaid versus private practice. I wouldn't say one is better than the other for sure. Um, it's just different. And I think it's positive differences. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because as you're speaking and as you're talking, I can feel the passion in your voice. I can tell how much you know, it means to you that you're helping these people in a way that feels more aligned with what, you know, the life that you want to live, because you, I I get the whole not wanting to stay in the, in the inpatient all the time and not really being in the work and helping people one-on-one. So I get you with that. And, um, it kind of brings me back to what you were saying about your grandma. And I just feel like, you know, there was something someone said that resonated with me. It's like, not every person is going to impact a million people, but that person could impact the seven people who impact a million people, you know, like just by having birth or raising the people who are going to impact the rest of the world. So I feel very good that you're doing the work that you're doing. And I feel like it feels like it feels aligned, you know, for you at least. So that's good. That's really good. As far as being a woman of color, after you graduated college and you got your licensing and everything, do you feel like it was hard for you to get into the work field as in this field as a woman of color? Like, do you feel like that had any impact? You know, what's so sad is no, I kind of, I feel like I'm more requested because I am a therapist of color. Okay. And I'm a female. you know, in it, I, I don't know if it's sad. It just feels like the common thing I get is we can't find a, a practitioner of color mm. all the time, you know, which is kind of like heartbreaking to me. You know, it's like, 
Because, and don't get me wrong, I have worked with some amazing clinicians of every color, honestly, mm-hmm. um, that are so skilled. Um, my, my clinical, su- my current clinical supervisor um, is, is not a person of color. And when I tell you his skill set, I, I only hope someday. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's something about having someone who looks like you, that when you share an issue, it can resonate with them in a very different way. And a shared experience just makes a therapeutic space more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially I think for kids too, that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just, we have our own set of issues and I think black women in particular, have our own set of specific issues that it's kind of like that I just would not talk to my non-Black female friends. Like I wouldn't discuss it with them because it it just would not make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So in a therapeutic space, if those issues are, are popping up in your life in a way that they're causing you distress, they're affecting your quality of life, you wanna talk to someone who it makes sense to talk to them about it. Yeah. Um, the need is so high, I believe right now. I mean, you know, if I'm being honest, not to shoot my own heart, I'm booked and bu- busy. And it's because, you know, well, I, I, I was trying to find someone of color, but no one got back to me. I can't seem to find um, anyone of color. You know, I think it's kind of, I mean, that is the feedback I consistently get is that people want more practitioners of color. That makes sense. That makes complete sense. How does entrepreneurship come into play as a mental health practitioner? The same way it would any other industry. I mean, it's 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 all you. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, I'm in the process of getting independently licensed. I'm hoping that will happen next month, so that way. Um, I can be kind of what my clinical supervisor is to other people. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'd like to hire another therapist um, because it really is um, its like any other. It's field. all it's you. Really, you got to show up. It really is all you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now I am every department. I'm accounting, I'm HR, I'm clinical, um, you know, everything. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate. I rent great office space that comes with a bunch of amazing amenities. They even give you a receptionist. Um, So that's helpful. Um, But other than that, I am, it's a one woman show. And, you know, I left my nine to five job to pursue this big entrepreneurship dream. And I went from working like 50 hours a week to all the time. So <laughs> it's not, I, it, it was very different in my head and I could see it in the wall. Like I could see it on the walls when I was first starting out and I was like, this is taking up all of my free time. Mm-hmm. And then it, it didn't stop. And I thought it would be better when I was finally able to leave my day job and do this full time, but no, it's not better. <laughs> well, you definitely got to take care of you, you know, cause they, they need you. <laughs> and they go they go and tell you how much they need you I'm sure they'd be calling your phone <laughs> that is one thing I'm trying to do better at that's a big theme for me um May for those who don't know is actually mental health awareness month um so I've been talking a lot about um rest and self-care and um you know how to not make self-care so ceremonious with like crystals and meditation gong and special bubble bath and all this stuff but just like simple simple things like instead of you know a client no shows I'm working on notes and treatment doing all these different things rather instead maybe just take a 20 minute power nap and just recharge for my next session Mm -hmm. Um, really taking very simple simple steps to incorporate self-care so I definitely need to get better at that it's okay. We all we all working on it, you know? It's an ever growing process. But um let me ask you this. If someone came to you and they just wanted to know like how do I know when it's time for me to talk to someone? How do I know when it's time to seek professional help? Sure, sure. 
Um, I think the big thing you have to look at is your quality of life. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing. It's, you know, it, it's not a, it's not a big deal until it's a big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. But along the way you saw, like, I, I'm not living how I was living before. Right. Um, so a lot of times people will say, you know, well, I feel depressed. Right. And I'll ask, what does that look like? You know, I'm sad all the time. Okay. Well, you know, being sad isn't a bad thing, especially if you're going through something hard, that's normal, you know, like it's okay to be sad, you know, um, you know, however, if you're sad and your appetite has changed drastically, you cannot stop eating or you're overeating or you're under eating, right. You don't want to eat anything or, you know, you're sleeping 13 hours a day. Um, or, you know, you haven't bathed in two weeks or you can't, you know, and on the opposite side of that, right. Um, you can't stop. You're taking five showers a day because you just don't feel clean or you have all this energy that you think is great, but all you've done is rearrange your house and you can't find anything Mm. or you're talking faster at work and people around you are starting to notice when it's starting to impact your ability to function right? Yeah, that's when it's, it's probably a problem when you're feeling that discomfort. Um, Should you go sooner? Absolutely. Personally, I'm of the belief and for those of you who are in grad school, um, forgive me right now, I can't think of, of my people, but you know, there's a psychological theorist who, you know, there's a, there's a belief in psychology of therapy should be ongoing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and to some extent, I believe that. I think it's something that you 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 use to manage, um, you know, your your thinking, your behavior. It can be a great tool. Um, however, in this day and age, and access to services, inflation, everything, um, healthcare, yeah. um, you know, it's not realistic all the time, right? And so. I think if you're down to the wire and you're kind of like, this isn't something that I can just easily incorporate into my life for the next 10 years, um, focus on, you know, if it's impacting your ability to function, if it's impacting your quality of life, um, it may not be a big deal, but everybody deserves to be happy, right? Everyone deserves to just generally be content and, and feel okay with themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And if whatever's going on with you is interfering with that, you might want to look into getting some more support, some professional support. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure you're not the only therapist who's had to get the extra help too, because, you know, you got to take care of you just as much as you need to take care of the people who help you, I mean, who need your help, you know? So I completely understand. Um, can we talk through a little bit um, what's going on, what just happened in New York and how that, like seeing a cycle of violence towards our people, especially Black people, um, affects our day-to-day life and our own mental health status, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I I made a post about, oh, I can't remember. I didn't make it. I think I just reposted it about like, Sometimes being black is about seeing other black people um, be murdered in the media, and you have to figure out if you're going to be really emotional about it and speak out against it, or be numb to it and say nothing, and just move about your day. It's kind of like an emotional war. Um, whether you're out there marching on the streets, um, you're behind a computer doing some activism online, or you just haven't said a word about you. Um, I fundamentally believe it affects every black person in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it creates fear. I don't care what anyone says. It creates fear, um, and it, it's traumatic to see someone be so easily, you know, attacked, murdered for something. Some the one thing you know for a fact you share with them. You don't know this person, these, uh, these victims, I don't know anything about them, you know, um, people are starting to now kind of post their stories and put faces to names, I don't know anything about any of them. Mm -hmm. Um, All I know is that they are black like me. That's it, right? Um, And so that creates fear. 
um, and with all the victims of, of all the the victims of, of violence, as far as you know, hate crimes go, um, black hate. It's kind of that's that's really all you have in common with them when you think about it. I mean, I'm sure you do, but on first onset, that's it. That's all. That's the only connection you have with them, and it's something that's so shared. So there's no way you you. You can't not look at that and think that could have been me, mm. right? Especially in a situation like this, they're going into a black, you know, this person went into a black neighborhood. Um, you could have could have been on vacation in New York visiting a relative who happens to live in, you know, a predominantly black neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I could have, you know, summer's coming up. I could have sent my child to a family member um, to New York, right? To, to go stay with that family member who happens to live in a black, you know, like, there's no, and strictly because they're Black, they're targeted. And so when you see that over and over and over and over again through the media, it just creates this level of discomfort. Um, and there is a mental exhaustion about it. I am mentally exhausted with seeing Black lives taken because they are Black lives. Yeah. It is, it is it is wearing it is wearing and it's traumatic i mean it just there is no way to fully feel and don't get me wrong like the world is a crazy place today you you can't really totally feel safe no matter who you are but you feel a little more unsafe as a black person navigating the world with this constantly these constant images coming um, but at the same time, they need to be shared. People need to know that this is happening to us, right? They do. They do. And I feel like just as much as it's important to know, it's just as much important to distance yourself from that information when you're not ready to receive it. Um, because imagine you just heard the worst news of your life and then you hear that on top of it. You know, it's like, People also have to take note of their own personal well-being. And um, I think sometimes unsubscribing from things that show you the same things over and over, because just as much of that is out there, um, there are other things. You know, there's always something to be worried about. There's always something to fear. And I feel like part of that um, goes along with like, a little bit with like ignorance is bliss you know sometimes not knowing is better than knowing because oh, absolutely we all know we all yeah. know at this point yeah. we know we know what's going on you know and if you think about it it's really a mental warfare more than anything else you know because it's our mind you know we repeat the same things over and over to ourselves so if you keep seeing the same things it must be real you know and it is but sometimes it's just better not to know as far as I'm concerned I feel like sometimes I don't want to know I mean but if you think about the frequency in which these things and the the type of coverage it gets which it deserves right like it needs to be blown up um and you're seeing it everywhere I mean like I think it goes without saying George Floyd I mean that was oh my god it just it was never ending and like for me um, when that happened, I, I, I was just like exhausted. Cause I think I had seen, you know, they had that, that video of that poor man dying just everywhere. And I, I saw it on the news. I, I was helping my, I think I was at my mother's house helping her cook. And I just went over to the TV and I literally just saw a man die on national television. Um, and I'm like, when I tell you, like, I was just, the exhaustion that came with seeing that and then it was like everything about it was in my feed and then like getting messages from people like non-black people who are like hey are you okay you know it was just it was a lot and it was yeah. just like man like it it just felt fearful and I I know I can't be the only person who felt that way and it's not necessarily that some people don't want to go out and really support the cause. It's just, you know, you, you go out, you support the cause, you do what you can, and then something else happens. And it's like, oh, my like, you know, yeah. and the trauma of that, putting your all into 
into wanting to do better for your community and then something else happens it's it's a lot it's I think every time it's a bit of a grieving process whether you're out there in the streets whether you're just one to not comment it's it's a lot and I know for me I wanted to talk about this today because I think that you know, for Black mental health, this is a part of our, our mental health for us. Mm -hmm. It just is. Um, whether you want to accept it or not, and I think in the movement with all of this, that's something that sometimes gets neglected because it's so, with the police brutality and then random acts of violence like this, it's just, we're so focused on how do we protect our community? How do we protect our community? Which is understandable because we're, we're being killed. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, how do we protect our mental health? Cause this is, this is a lot, this is a lot. You can see it too. When you think about older generations, civil rights, people who are in older generations and had to fight those battles, a part of the civil rights and Jim Crow, you can see the way they conduct themselves when they're older. You can tell that was mentally draining for them. Yeah. You know, that's us in another 20, 30 years, we're going to be like, our, you know, like, that's going to be us because we're, it's like a cycle. Like, where does it stop? And granted, are we where we were before? No, but we're at a place where now, you know, you'd read the newspaper before and you'd see that. And then you'd link up with whoever and try to connect to go, you know, engage in activism. Now it's just, it's every, you cannot escape it. Yeah. And I, I think, Honestly, to me, the silver lining is that people are waking up who are not Black. You know, they're waking up to what's really going on and what has been going on for as long as we've been shouting at the top of the mountain, telling people what's going on for years and years, generations and generations. And finally, people are starting to wake up and want to make a change about it. But I think focusing more on like solutions, I feel like honestly, the government needs to get involved with every situation that occurs. Like not the local police necessarily, like the FBI, like they need to be, because I remember, I recall uh, not too long ago, there was a quote that said like, white supremacists are the number one most dangerous group of people, um, population. But the truth is, is they're dying off, you know? Um, they're dying off because the people who hold those ideals, they're trying to pass it on and try to keep, you know, whites only, if that makes sense, like keep it all within a white family. And the thing is, we're blending. Things are blending. It's becoming a melting pot. So I feel like things to me, I want to hope that things get better. You know, I want to hope that we aren't seeing these same images over and over again and that some real changes happen to, mm -hmm. to keep it from happening over and over again, like real punishment, not getting let yeah. off every time. No, I mean, I, it doesn't make sense to sit here and be like, you know, it's a never ending problem and it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. Well, that's going to just crush our spirit as a community as a Absolutely. whole. I do, I do want to believe it'll get better because, you know, I have, I have a, a black child. I'm going to have more black children. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to ensure that it's going to get better. So I have Absolutely. to have that hope. I think what's hard is that in the meantime, people are still dying and you're still seeing that the, the this person died because of the one thing you have in common with them. Mm -hmm. And that's what is hard, right? That's what's, <clears throat> that's what continues to have an impact. And I think as far as Black mental health goes, you know, really pick your battles with it, right? Um, do what you need to do. You brought up a great point. Disengage if you need to, right? Yeah. Um, don't, don't get engaged. It doesn't mean that you're not, you know, for the community. It doesn't mean that you're not for progress. It just means I, I literally cannot see this anymore. This is damage. This is affecting my quality of life to continue to see this. And I'm not gonna be a good brother, a good sister in this community if I continue to just delve into this, right? Yeah, because um, it, it impacts everything else, you know? Like it impacts how you interact with your family, how you impact in your workplace. Like I thank God, and I feel for the people who were working during the time 
of George Floyd and all that disgustingness, all the stuff that was going on with the previous um, presidency, like just the images that we were seeing, the things that were getting going on that, you know, were not being addressed, were not being acknowledged, were not being punished, Mm -hmm. you know, and to still have to go and sit in the face of the people who are not talking about it. They're just yeah. talking about, oh, who, where did you go last weekend? Um, what do you, how, yeah. and it's like, I don't want to talk about, I, I, if I was in that position, I would not want to talk about anything other than, do y'all see what's going on? Like, is it yeah. just me? Yeah. You know, and, and I feel for the people who are in these white spaces, you know, because when you are, like, I used to work in the corporate setting. When you are in those settings, they trying to like there's a culture to it and yes. if you don't get with the culture you're the one who's messing up you know there's something wrong with you not the other way around not realizing that we are not we're not slaves you know to whatever you think I'm supposed to be like or how I'm supposed to show up or how I'm supposed to feel we are ruled by our emotions and Absolutely. our mental health you know like it's all related so mm-hmm. that was a big growing point for me, I think, with the Michael Brown situation when that first happened years ago. Um, you know, I I was in a corporate setting, corporate, and I was actually, you know, I was in a company that, you know, for the most part was fairly liberal and diverse. You know, mental health tends to be a little more liberal yeah. and working with a lot of communities that it would make sense that we talk about that. And even in that space, I felt that like, you know, Chantel, you're talking about this too much, but I needed to like, get it out. Like what's going on? Like, Oh my God, like they just killed a kid. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I needed to talk about it with people, but because at the end of the day, no matter how liberal, you know, it's, it's a corporate predominantly white space. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I realized pretty quickly, oh, I, even though it's like that, I don't have the room here to do that. This isn't yeah. the space for that. And it was hard for me at that time. I believe it. I believe it because it's kind of like a shock. It's yeah. a shock, oh. you know? Oh. And it's like, you're looking around, like, is anybody else feeling what I'm feeling? You yes. know, is anybody yeah. else struggling to be here right now? Yes. And struggling it's such a big it's such a big thing that it's kind of like, it feels like this is bigger than being black. Like they are out here really killing people. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my God. And then like, you realize, no, it's, it's, it's a you issue. It's your issue, right? It's our community's issue. And it brings it back to, you know, this is what's going on in our community. When you go into those spaces and you have that shock, you're like, Oh my gosh. And you try and like talk about it openly and vent, and it's just kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's sympathy, it's empathy, but it's like, okay, you know, like, you know, yeah. Um, what are you going to do? Like, come exactly. on, man. like that doesn't, that doesn't help anybody feel better. You know, that's dismissive. And it's no. not, uh, I think that's where we kind of need to lead towards like, is like having these spaces to talk about things because sometimes just hearing somebody else say exactly how you feel makes you feel better. You know, it makes you feel normalized, like you're not crazy for feeling the way that you feel or you're not outrageous or angry, you know, maybe you are angry. Maybe we have a right to be angry, you know, just validating, you know, your perception, validating your experience around it, you know, and, and it, and I, I get it on some extent because it's like, can you really validate it? this experience as a non-black person, I don't know because, you know, I am black. So I really, I really don't know if you can honestly, authentically validate it. Just not having that experience, not necessarily having that threat in your life, you Mm -hmm. know, so I don't know. Um, But that's kind of where the need for more clinicians of color, uh, more people of color in these spaces are are needed. Um, With the Michael Brown situation, you know, I kind of got the you know, we're sorry, Chantal. Okay. Okay. You know, pretty quick in my day, I was waiting all day for my coworker to get to work who is black. So I could go into her office and be like, Oh my God, you know, like, 
to really just vent. And when she got there, it's exactly what we did. We spent the rest of the day just like, what are we gonna do? Like in just a panic in her office. And honestly, after that, I kind of I left feeling a little a little lighter versus mm-hmm. you know my my coworker who her, my my office mate who tried her best to really support me in that moment, but just. I, I really feel like she just wasn't capable to validate experience that she just has no, like no frame of reference to. Yeah. And, and sometimes talking to those type of people can be a little off-putting because it's like, they don't understand, you know, they can't understand because they haven't been in that situation or haven't had to go through the generations that our generations have if that makes sense so yeah. I, I get that I completely understand um I know you don't have too much time I want to ask you one do you have one book or two books that you recommend everybody read to help um with dealing with your own personal health or even something about black trauma or you know anything like that oh um let me see one book that was helpful right now I'm reading like a bunch I'm just reading a bunch of books pertaining to my field I'm into something called like somatic experiencing right now which is basically um it's short form using um the physical manifestation of your trauma to heal your trauma so that's y'all don't got to go there if you don't want to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um let me let me go to my list um a book that was recommended to me was actually recommended it's i think it's an old book um so just off the bat um for here we go um there's positive affirmations for black women i do a lot of audible um, so off the bat positive affirmations for black uh for black women by uh, Kalisha Harrington. Um, And then, where is it? Um, So that's off the bat. I think that's just, you know, that's on brand (laughs) right now. And I I, I do like, um, I do like that book. And then um, something that um, I go back to a lot is You Can Heal Your Life by Louise L. Hay. yeah, you yeah, can heal. yeah. You can heal. I got you. Um, I love that, but I've—I mean, I—I I listen to it pre- when I'm down and just kind of—it's not like clinical. It's by no means she's not a clinician, um, but you know, it's—it's it's very powerful. And then uh, "Man's Search for Meaning" by um, Victor E. Frankel—that um, is a big perspective book for me. Um, kind of the experience of this person and what they went through um, during the Holocaust um, and the way they were going through such earth-shattering trauma um, uh, and the way they made it out the other side through just perspective alone, perspective and humor, honestly, Mm -hmm. um, powerful. So those are my books um, outside of my super you know, textbooky things right now. Um, I need to do better about <laughs> reading for fun. I'll add that to my self-care. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I feel the same. I'm like, I need to get back into my novels, like reading yeah. the good like stories that I can relate yeah. to because I it was easy in high school because it's so much young adult fiction, but in the adult fiction world, it's not as much. Like even if you look into like black literature, like it's a lot of, gangs and violence and nasty and you know I, I can't always relate you know yeah. sometimes but um before we head out how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in um just maybe learning more about your journey or seeking therapy from you yeah so um instagram just like that the happy black therapist i'm the only one um so reach out to me um if emails your jam info at happy black therapist um please reach out to me um 
yeah, info at happy black therapist, no the on the email. Um, but yeah, uh, feel free to reach out to me. Um, right now I'm in a bit of transition, so it's crazy this week. I haven't been putting out a lot of content, but you know, even if it's just checking me out and just, you want to laugh a funny reel or, you know, you need some inspiration or just whatever it might be, please don't hesitate to reach out. Facebook, same thing, got the Facebook page going. Mm -hmm. Um, Just really trying to start this movement of, you know, making, you know, there's so much generational trauma in various communities of color Um, and, you know, just wanting to create a safe space. That's all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we appreciate you for doing that. And I appreciate you so much for coming on. Um, I really, this is a great interview. I'm glad we talked about what we talked about. I know it's going to hit home with a lot of people. So thank you again. Um, I will let you know once everything is official. Okay. Yay. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I need the content. So (laughs) no problem. No worries. All right. You have a great rest of your week. Okay. You take care. All right. Bye. Bye.